Welcome to another episode of Chefs and Guests on the Spoon Mob podcast. This week, I'm joined by Chef Carlos Chisquier. He's the new chef over at the Market Italian Village, taking over for Chef Tyler Minnis, who departed kind of last year because of the pandemic and everything, started Boxwood Biscuit Co., which you can find in the short north. I think it's off Buttles. He's also over at Lawbird over here in the brewery district. Chef Carlos, as everybody affectionately calls him, just because he has a complicated last name, much like myself. He pretty much arrived earlier this year when the market was getting ready to reopen and has kind of been working on doing a whole bunch of different stuff. They completed the entire renovation of the dining room. The bar area is completely different than it was. Chairs, the tables, all that stuff's way different than if you haven't been in there since when they closed before they reopened after stuff kind of reopened kind of March, April, May timeframe earlier this year. So he moved from Chicago and we get into kind of his move and cooking in Chicago and cooking in Austin, Texas. He's from Texas originally, kind of a border town and everything. And and his experience so far in Columbus and future plans that they have coming up for the Market Italian Village, stuff that they want to do, want to implement as they kind of get everybody up to speed with the new kind of direction. There is still a lot of similarity between what the old market was and what the new market is. There's a nice tie-in with a lot of the different dishes and ingredients and stuff like that too, but it is its own thing now. It has its own direction, its own little different twist and, and flair and everything. So it's really nice. You'll have some kind of nostalgia if you've been to the market previously before. The new direction that it's going in with Chef Carlos and his team and everything is is pretty awesome too as well. We've been there, had a great experience. It's just a little different than what it used to be in a good way. Change is good. Change isn't always bad like so many people believe it to be. Sometimes change is necessary and change is good. And, and I've definitely enjoyed our times that we've been there, both before the pandemic and since. And you know, really looking forward to everything that they want to implement and everything that they're planning on rolling out over the next few months too as well. So it all sounds really ambitious, but really awesome. And it's stuff that Columbus, I think, will definitely thrive and, and vibe with too as well. You can follow Chef Carlos on Instagram at Chef C-Y-S-A. Also follow the Market Italian Village on Instagram too as well at themarket.iv. Follow us on Instagram, Spoon Mob, Twitter, Facebook, Spoon Mob One, all that stuff. The website too as well, spoonmob.com. But this is also the first episode where I had Chef Wesley Grubbs, who was the guest last week, come on and we started implementing, leaving question behind from that week's guest for the next upcoming guest. Something that I got from an idea of a podcast I guessed it on called 34 Questions. Uh, that episode hasn't come out yet. It's kind of one of the things that they do over there. And I thought it'd, it'd really tie in nicely. So I kind of stole that idea from them. But it is originally from them. So I want to make sure I give them credit and everything like that too as well with what they're doing. But more on that episode when it comes out. We'll basically have the guests leave a question behind for the next upcoming guests and it's kind of tie in in a through line through all the episodes too as well. So this is the first episode where that question has been answered by the next week's guest. And it'll just be like that going forward too. So that's kind of towards the end of the podcast. Uh, without further delay, here is my conversation with Chef Carlos of the Market Italian Village in Columbus, Ohio. Thanks again for taking some time out of your off day or what have you. And I know uh, those are precious moments. So appreciate everybody who's able to come on the podcast. And we recently went to the market since you've been there for the first time since they've reopened. You know, they were doing some to-go stuff before you got there during COVID and everything like that. And then they were closed for a while. And, and now you're there. And we had a fantastic meal there. 
it's always kind of been a cool spot. And I think you did a really good job with keeping with kind of the ethos of what the market was before the pandemic and before you got there, but also putting your spin on it and your take on different dishes and everything. And I want to get into all that, but I want to start where we always start with everybody, kind of all the way back at the beginning. Did a bunch of research, but couldn't really find too much pre-2008 for you. You did a fantastic job. I saw the bio. A lot of one, a lot of people know. It was very impressive. Thank you for doing that. I want to always try and timeline it because there's always stuff that contradicts different stuff and different articles and everything. But there wasn't too much before 2008 when you wound up, I think, uh, the first time in Chicago. But how did you first get started in cooking? I took a summer job cooking at an IHOP. Well, not cooking. I was a dishwasher, overnight dishwasher at an IHOP. And at two in the morning, it was just one cook. So he'd ask me to cook or at least help out prep. Love the pace of it. The environment was great. And just built from there. Then I uh, went to culinary school in Chicago for a little bit. In 2002, ended up working at the Peninsula Hotel, which is a pretty prestigious place. Did overnight cooking, breakfast, lunch, banquets. It was a hell of a time. Good time to learn. Met some people there and then um, decided I wanted to go into uh, restaurants instead of uh, doing hotels. I felt it was just a bit more intimate. As in hotels, it's a lot of uh, just turn and burn food. I went to a restaurant called Sola, which no longer exists. Became like a chef, like a sous chef, chef's party kind of a small restaurant. And then from there, moved to Butter, which was a great restaurant. Where I met Lee Wolin, which is throwing out a name out there. That guy's super talented. So was, had the privilege of working with him and becoming a good friend with him. And from there, I went to North Pond, which is, um, I took a sous chef position as AM sous chef. And that was super challenging. I learned a lot. And that's where I really got the understanding of working from networking with farmers and trying to build those relationships and realizing what really, really good food is. It's just the simplicity of choosing the best ingredients possible. And we were fortunate enough to do that at North Pond. And that's in 2007, 2008, moved to Antiprima, where I started practicing that as well. North Pond, they didn't have a Michelin star yet, right? Because that was pre the guide? At the time, no. Not until I left, which made probably made them better when I left, I guess. But was it kind of like at that level, the kitchen already? Yes, it was. Very demanding. I did not have the recognition. And a lot of times it's like a lot of luck, I think, involves with those restaurants. They're so passionate and driven and the hard work finally pays off and someone like recognizes maybe luckily or just the consistency of uh, getting that popularity while maintaining the consistency of quality. And that's what he eventually did. Going back to starting at IHOP, was it one of the 24-hour IHOPs? So you were working like the third shift? Third shift, graveyard. As a kid, I, mean, like, I was like, what, 17 years old? I mean, you read about sketchy times in kitchens. That was one of like what not to do. That's where I learned that. But it was a, it was a trip working overnight. Those grungy relationships you get through people that it's just a job. But it's not a passionate thing for them. It just got to get through it so they have Whatever's happening outside the four walls is much more important than what's going on in the kitchen. There's people. That's the way life is. It's a good time. It's an interesting time. Now, are you from Chicago originally? I grew up in Texas, south border or border town by the south called Eagle Pass. Grew up in Texas for about 18 years before, before moving to Chicago. 20, I was 20. I worked in Austin, Texas for a couple of years. Why Chicago? I had family up here. And at the time, Austin, I mean, we're talking like a thousand where Austin, Texas, just wasn't at the level it is now. I don't know if you've been, but it's super, super filled with super talented people now. But at the time, I worked for David Bull, which was at the time was a food and wine best chefs of the United States. Really, really talented gentleman. But it just wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for myself to grow in that area at the time. So it was either Chicago, New York, or California. 
And I figured, well, why not go Chicago? Because I have family here and did much more uh, of an easier transition, if anything. So luckily, I landed a spot in school as well and very good job. Which culinary school did you wind up choosing? The Cordon Bleu at Cook and Hospitality Institute of Chicago. Looking back on your time at culinary school, did you think it was beneficial for you? And would you recommend it to anybody who got into the industry now? question i get asked that a lot it depends on the individual if anything i think people that are just starting to get into the industry and maybe have a little bit of money in their pocket to kind of get an idea of what it's like to learn in an environment but it's not the same atmosphere that's the only difference once they get down to i guess their feet in the ground and realize that there's not a lot of uh, glory in this it is fulfilling if you are working with your hands your mind you love reading your race you love food I think places like the market works out very well and the people that are here are the reason why our food is so good. It's not because of me, hardly. Just people that care, passionate, and just want to grow. I love how they come together and, and have so much pride in the city. And I too have been great this city. Is Going back to your school question, should they go to school? If I would, if I would tell them, I would say it's not worth it. If you're going to come to a place like this, but if you want to learn to kind of get an idea of what it may be, by all means, you can experience it for yourself. I highly recommend a stage before anything. Did you do any stages while you were in school or post-school? Not at school. The time I was working, so I would go to school and then go to work. So there was no time for a stage. Probably pretty much learning on the job and learning in school kind of you know, Lucky. A lot of work, but I think it paid off. Like you said, you ran through kind of the, the early years, North Pond, then you wind over at Antiprima, and you were there for like six years. But that was your first executive chef job too, right? Correct. Exec chef, and I was very fortunate to become partners with them. We ended up opening two more restaurants right next to each other. That was a great experience. As three restaurants, you can always buy like a whole hog or bring in whole lambs, whole animals, and then break them down and divide them to three restaurants. Three different concepts, but utilizing the same product, which it was a great challenge, and I think it paid off very well. It was a good time. Very, very big learning experience. It was Ombra and Cardinal Taco, right, were the other two? Ombra, well, Cardinal Taco was the concept we were going to develop, but that didn't come through. It was Acre. When you're operating kind of with three restaurants, when you're creating a dish, do you purposely like create a dish for one of those three concepts? Or is it like, well, this could fit here or it could fit here, and you just kind of play around with it? Or how do you go about that? You have to stay within the brand of the restaurant. Antipremium was strictly Italian, so if it was anything, we'd do sausages for over there. But then sausages also work at Acre. So we developed two types of sausages, one more identifying the restaurant of Antiprima and one more identifying the restaurant of Ombra, but utilizing the same product, which is the same pork. Ideas would stem from more of how to get the most out of the product, as opposed to how do I get just a specific protein from the animal or specific piece from the animal to fit it into a dish. I think it's our responsibility to utilize as much of the product as you can, if anything. Very important. And that was the main like inspiration behind the dishes anytime. Running three restaurants, did you ever feel overwhelmed at any point or you had a great team at each one so you knew that you could kind of bounce between the three whenever they needed help? It's always about the support group. It really, really is. There's no way one person can do it. So yes, very fortunate to have people that were also driven and were very experienced and were more than happy to learn about anything and take on more responsibility. It was a great team of three teams. They were all very driven people. It was a great, I mean, they had just did a remarkable job because they felt they were part of the ownership. And that's what really helped out a lot. 
Then after about like six years or so, you moved back to Austin, right? To try to open up a restaurant. And so you moved it back home to open up your own place. Because I felt it was time. And at the time I was married, eventually we had decided throughout the, our time in Chicago that we needed to go back to family. It was all about family because she too grew up in Texas, same border town. We were high school sweethearts. That was the task like for myself to develop myself in my career, try to get better. She too went to school. Surgical technician was her background. And then we moved back to uh, to Texas. I felt it was time for, for me to open up a restaurant. Was that Jacoby's Restaurant Mercantile? No, no, it was a different concept. It was a different concept. What was the concept? It's called the Red Waddle. It was going to be called the Red Waddle. It was very close to opening. I grew so, I don't regret it. Unfortunately, my wife became ill and I had to stop everything that's going on. And once she passed, everything just stopped. I didn't know if I want to go back to work. And of course, the concept of the Red Waddle just it just didn't drive. There was nothing driven. That was driving me to do it. Passion was gone. About six months, eight to seven months, uh, a friend of mine asked if I'd like to interview for a position at Jacoby's. But well, I guess it's time to go back to work. So I did. I interviewed. They liked the interview and then did the tasting. It was up against other people over there. But fortunately, landed a position there. I met Andy Stone, which is a dear, dear, like dear brother to me now, which we still work now at the market. Very serendipitous. It all worked out. So took the position after they offered it. Worked there for about a year, year and a half, something like that. Good time. Very learning. It was a big mess with all due respect to those people. Sorry. But if they're listening, or they just they just hired somebody that didn't know what they were doing. They had a chef that they fired after a week of opening. They were severely understaffed. I had no idea how they ran it. It's a, it ended up being like a $3.4, $3.7 million restaurant. It was being run by a group of a mill. Very, very tiny skeleton group. We had more people. I don't know. It was just a terrific learning experience. A lot of things, what not to do. And of course, also how to build a culture from the ground up that has low morale because they were being so bad. It was just a big mess. What was the concept there? Because it has mercantile in the name. And that leads me to believe that there's like a market packaging, get stuff off the shelves kind of aspect to it. The beautiful thing about Jacoby's is they were very creative. They're very inventive. They were very driven, very motivated, very passionate. Uh, it's a group that, or a couple that owned the restaurant. One of the gentlemen owned a mercantile shop in the back, which had like vintage items and things around, found around Texas. And it was really very quaint, very curated artifacts that were very well sought out. And then also in the market, we had beef that was sold from the Jacoby's brand beef, which was remarkable beef. Really, really good. Fantastic product. Well, the front of it was, or the front of the restaurant was more based on like Southern cuisine, uh, chicken fried steak, Salisbury steak, things like that. And then, of course, they feature their beef as steak product. Like I said, fried 45 days, I believe. And, but the feed in itself was fantastic because you can taste like almost like a mushroomy taste behind it. Even like blue cheese-esque after it's seared super hard. Good amount of salt and lemon. Just fantastic. Did that kind of reignite your fire to be a chef again? I mean, after going through the personal stuff, or was it family just kind of pulled you out of, or just one day it, the switch flipped and you're like, all right. I have to do it. It was a grind, right? This, this, what we do is a grind. All we know, what it's all I know what to do. I know what to do. Doing it for years. I had the privilege of working in some great restaurant, great kitchen, great staff. This staff, anything I saw, because I was now older, I saw younger individuals that had that little drive in them, a little fire in their eye. And that's what ignited me more than anything. The food was okay. I was in this box. Like it had to be this type of food. That was okay. We were okay doing it, especially working with that beef. 
little by little, yes, the passion did kind of come back. If anything, it was just more about the camaraderie with that group again, or that group that wants to learn, be driven, and just excel. That was the inspiration. The creativity behind it just wasn't there. What was the biggest difference between cooking in Chicago versus cooking in Austin? I don't know if there would be a difference. Every Both cities have a, well, Austin, Texas, and Chicago will have so much character. People love good food, and they expect good food. Cooking on both of them, they were both challenging because you wanted to produce the best product you could for people that have good palates and realize what they're expecting, what they're, they want, they expect from you. So I don't know if there's a huge difference. As far as trying to find mar- or product, yeah, of course, Chicago, you can get anything you want. Freshest fish, best proteins. Of course, Texas also has its, its um, fortes as well. What took you back to Chicago after that then? Why'd you decide to go back instead of different city or different place in Austin or... I think it was familiarity more than anything. Obviously, I'm still grieving. I'm still grieving now. At the time, it was like I wasn't happy where I was, where I was at in Texas anymore. Um, part of me felt like there was no reason for me to be there anymore. Familiarity. Go back to Chicago, a good time there. Why not? Phase, right? People go through these phases. When you get back to Chicago, you wind up at Tesori. Tesori was just uh, a way to get back. They, um, they sought me out. They flew me out there to do a tasting interview. They're looking for a chef for uh, like a three million to three point four mil restaurant, but only for six months out of the year. So they were super busy at six months out of the year, and then the other six not so much. The winter time probably was the down. It was actually the opposite because during the winter, surprisingly, me too. I thought in downtown Chicago, a lot of people don't really eat downtown because once they come to work, they just want to disperse and get out of downtown if anything. Unless you have something super intriguing to offer, but it's very rare. If anything, lunches are pretty good down in that area. But at the time, because it was part of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, people would frequent to the orchestra and, and have dinner before going to eat. That's how they got their business. Revamped the menu there, had a good time, worked with people again. If anything, I'll be honest with you, it's more about the money on that part. A way to get back. It was in downtown Chicago. Never really worked downtown. It was fun. I was still lost. Like, I, Things I shouldn't be doing at my age at that time, like staying out too late at night, being in places I'm not supposed to be at. I still wasn't disciplined enough to come back to realize that this is really good, maybe. Working there, did you pull anything from like the menu that you were really fond of at Inta Prima, or did you just do all new stuff? It was very familiar to this format of Inta Prima. I thought it made the kitchen much more efficient. And we could utilize much more product, especially now that I came back to Chicago and had the opportunity to work with farmers once again. So I could utilize and change the menu often. And that's what helped, I think, make our, I mean, the food was pretty good, right? but it was so fast paced. I couldn't change the menu as often as I was like for the time being. But what I was given, I thought it was pretty good. But very close to the format of Antiprima just to make it much more efficient. And it worked out very well. And you were there all the way up until basically coronavirus, right? No, 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 no. I went back to Inter Prima. The money was no longer a factor. That made, no longer made me happy. It wasn't supposed to make me happy, but it's all honesty. I'm nothing to hide. Yes, it didn't make me happy. I maintained my relationship with the owner of Inter Prima. Of course, I was no longer a partner after I left. We tossed around the idea of coming back as an exec chef just for the Inter Prima of the restaurant. And he thought he needed to pay me the same amount of money that Tesori would like. No, I just rather just cook some food that I want to cook and try and strengthen those relationships with the farmers even more. Um, smaller roost restaurant would be great because 
I guess you have more of the product and additions and try to make sure they're executed to the full potential. So that was my intention to go back. That was until coronavirus. It sounds like when you moved back to Anthoprima for the second time, you were pretty back into cooking. I felt I was. You wanted to create again. Absolutely. Especially people that want to be taught. Fortunately, it wasn't in 2017, 2018, 2019. It was very difficult to find employees. And I'm sure it is. That's the case now, too. It's still happening. It's ridiculous. I don't know. Uh, a lot of reasons. Anyway, that's another conversation. Yes, it was great to have new dishes on the menu constantly. The fact that I was on the line, I was cooking. It was a self-satisfaction deal. Then it was just, it was okay. It became okay. There was no challenges then, except for trying to find employees or fill spots. That became the challenge. That weighs a toll on you. And then people, <laughs> you do hire someone or they don't show up. It becomes a weary feeling, man. So that was for a while. And then Corona hit. Then we were shut down. Try to get back up, but it just wasn't the same. Nothing was the same. Not, not ideal anymore. People settled down for burgers and pizzas and tacos. But maybe they'll come back. I don't know. We'll see. Coronavirus happens. Everybody shut down for at least, you know, 90 days. You know, a lot of places longer than that. When that happened in Chicago, what was kind of the vibe like? Because here it was everybody pivoted to kind of to go do what they could and then kind of ran the numbers and figured this isn't going to work. We can't survive on this. So we're better off being closed, like laying everybody off so they can file for unemployment, get the extra benefits and stuff like that too. Was it kind of the same deal in Chicago, but just a bigger scale because it's a bigger city or what was the vibe like there? I think if anything, I didn't know anything about unemployment. I wasn't, I needed a job. So in my small little entrepreneurial world, I don't know about Chicago, but I'll tell you about it. At the beginning, I needed to keep working. So we need to find a way to make our restaurants or make our food portable. Because there was no way it was you can carry a great pasta and to, like have the same result when you get home. You start thinking of ways to do different types of food, braising meats, confine meats, things that uh, can carry well without losing quality. That's what we ended up doing. It was just myself. So it was myself cleaning, cooking, plating, and then bagging. And it was the owner ringing up food and then the general manager making the like, devising the order, making out the orders. And then after like a month, people started doing that more. I think at first people needed to see how you can do it or execute it, especially bigger restaurant groups, which I saw from my experience. I'm not speaking like the fact, but this is from what I saw. So yes, the pivoting was a, a huge factor to try to maintain yourself without having to have everybody on staff is what I saw. Yes, people got laid off, but I felt as restaurants couldn't lose their name. They still needed to get their brand out there, especially new spots that had just opened up. They needed to find ways to get, stay out there, stay, I guess, relative to anything if, if it all clears up and you're still around. That's how I felt. We did. We did pretty well. And just once we opened up, it just wasn't enough business. It wasn't the same. Parted ways because I, I felt you know, I was doing, there's no way I could survive on, it was just a mutual breakup. Then you started doing your own little pop-up, right? Chef CYSA? Yeah, that was a good one. I, I friend of mine, very dear friend of mine, influenced me to start it. I guess I was very fortunate to learn or to uh, have gained some relationships with people from the restaurant that, at Antiprima and pop-up meals. They're more like, um, I felt as if people can just heat up something of great quality, utilizing produce and product from around the area and um, at an affordable price. They don't have to work as hard and make sure the meals are very nourishing, if anything. It worked pretty well, paying the bills, paying rent. 
some chefs during the pandemic shifted to setting up like a in-home dining experiences and stuff like that. And some have stayed with doing that until things kind of smooth out. Was that ever an option on the table for you? Or did you always know that you wanted to be back in a restaurant? But no, I didn't, just didn't have the space. There's no way I could go in my apartment. I could probably get somebody to lend me their house, but you know, Chicago is a little different than here in Ohio. I guess they're a bit more strict on the rules of I just didn't think it was feasible. I think people would like to hang around with each other in a small, closed environment. I'm sure it was like two top, four top kind of deal, but just didn't cross my mind. How did the opportunity at the market come about? Andy Stone, from which I told you, we worked at Jacoby's. He uh, had moved out here to Columbus with his wife, and he too was for load. And he happened to walk by this restaurant while it was still closed, popped his head in here and asked if they were hiring. He wants to not take the chef position, but kind of be part of something that's different. He had a vision, if anything. I think Andy had a vision. He's the engineer of the group. Like, um, he'll put the team together. Doesn't really know how to operate the machinery, but he knows how to get, they can build it. That's what he did. Um, so he poked his head in here, got an interview, asked if I was interested in maybe taking the chef position. And I said, well, I'll give up talks. We'll talk to about it, talk about it at the time. Restaurants were kind of starting to open, but I didn't. I had no idea how much longer Chicago can stay, can be closed. So I couldn't take that risk to not have a job for any much longer. And so I thought it was time for a change as well. Came out here, met Ali. What what a tremendous individual! Like very sincere man that really cares about his employees and his company. It was an honor to meet him. Very straightforward, very honest. So cool. Finally, it's a blessing if anything. I mean, the guy lets us play around with anything we want as long as the product's good and pretty lucky to have this position here. Were they done with all the renovations by the time you popped in? Because they just had the one booth on like the left-hand side was all they did before coronavirus. It looked different now. It looked much better, I think, much more functional in my opinion. Maybe it worked well, but it was different. I like get different concept prior to here. So there were all the renovations had not been done, especially in the kitchen. The tile was new at the time that I was here. It wasn't here. The archway, obviously the counters. It was just a matter of trying to find a way to utilize a kitchen as much effective as we can efficiently. I felt that cave or that case in the middle was too much of a, I felt like the flow was not going through. It was just blocked here and then you go around and I don't like it at all. So I said, let's knock that out, do something with it. And he thought of the archway, it's come a long way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looks awesome in there. You know, they just had the one little part done. And I think that was because they used to have like drink coolers in there. And I think a couple of them kind of failed. So they were like, well, what do we do? And they put in kind of that group dining thing. I don't think they had the bar. Yeah. I mean, they basically overhauled the entire place while it was closed during the pandemic. So it looks awesome in there. Was there anything when you got there with the menu? Was it just, hey, do whatever you want? Or was it like, we'd like for there to be, you know, a pasta on the menu or something like that or the trust he has for myself and andy goes beyond word i I think once he tasted our tasting when i flew down here prior to taking the position he realized that maybe he can trust us in providing the guests with a tremendous experience and try to maintain that quality on our own and just checking ourselves checks and balances right we're trying to prove one another we're always bouncing off ideas off one another front and back of the house i think he just realized that after a while that we sincerely care and there's a part of me that feels as if he he's got this restaurant he's like here you go take the restaurant don't fuck it up and we're like no problem we got it and he'll let us do that do you remember what you cooked for the tasting for them a couple of items we did two pastas one being both different doughs one with egg one no egg Waters, uh, strozzapretti, 
I believe it was lamb ragu. And then we did a cavatelli. I forgot what it was. Cavatelli, but it, I had bought a truffle, brought a truffle from Chicago, and did truffle butter. So it was a, throughout the meal, you want to showcase some higher end things you can do and then some other things that are a bit more like approachable and then try to be more creative. So it's like a fluctuation of flavors and ideas and ingredients of anything. One of the ideas too, we did a, which I wanted, which we highlight now is the oven. We did a half of a bass that was from uh, North Market, local seafoods there. So we bought a bass that day, roasted the whole thing and then presented it, took it down and then took it apart, plated it and then presented it again. And hopefully that's something, an idea we're playing around with now that in the future we'll roll around a cart and try to bring out like whole duck or a whole fish. It'd be cool to see some of that come back. It's just that the show, right? You come to eat, not just to, of course, to nourish yourself, but also to be entertained and to get away from the regular life. Just get away from somewhere and go to another piece of real estate that you own for a little bit and enjoy it. So to see like a cart, maybe that's something that's part of it. I think that's kind of making its way back. I mean, there's a couple of restaurants that kind of dabbled with it, but I know like in New York, when they opened that Hudson Yards complex, like the Thomas Keller restaurant they had, they were doing a bunch of tables. I mean, they've closed since because of the pandemic and the rent costs and all that stuff. But are you guys going to use the chef's counter area? Thank you for asking. Yes, sir. We are currently taking reservations. Well, we're sold out this month, August. During Thursdays, we sell four seats at the counter for one turn. That's the same night we're doing wine pairings or wine pairings with the dinner, but also we're doing wine flights on Thursdays now. Become pretty popular. We've been very fortunate to have people just take over this month. Starting next month, I think we're going to do it at, don't quote me on this yet, I think it's $65 to $75 ahead here. It's one seating, and hopefully we're going to try to aim Thursday through Saturday. From what I understand is people really enjoyed this, so we're going to try to keep it going, make it more accessible for people to kind of enjoy it as well. That was one of the things that they did with that little side renovation too, and they never used it. And then coronavirus happens. Clearly there was a plan at some point when you guys are doing all the renovations, like, yeah, we still want to utilize that in some ways. When you moved from Chicago to Columbus, was there any additional challenges moving during the pandemic or was it pretty straightforward? Put all your stuff in a truck driving or? Yeah, pretty much one truck, one, one drive. That was it. Rambling man, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I was excited. I was nervous about it first in my personal life, but I was looking forward to it, if anything. Andy was here and we have each other's backs. We're always going to have each other's backs. It's been a ride. It's been great learning about the city, learning about people here, finding these relationships with other farmers from around the area, still working with farmers from Chicago, which has been remarkable. And I'm trying to introduce people from here to over there so they can kind of network even more of them. So it's, it's uh, the potential is here. It's a remarkable city. It really is, sincerely. A lot of character. People are ambitious. Good bones. Really, really good bones. Love the architecture. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, you're probably about a half a year living in Columbus so far. So any standout highlights from your six to eight months that you've been here? Anything you wish the city has but doesn't? I'm still learning. I mean, if anything, I'm still learning. I mean, I just discovered Ace of Cups. Fucking great venue. Really good venue. The music scene's great here, I think. From what I've, the little I've seen, Dick's Den up there. A lot of good energy, if anything, yeah. A baseball team would be nice. I don't know if you're a, it'd be nice to have a professional baseball team. I know they have the Clippers. Cincinnati has one. Cleveland has one. Columbus, the biggest city in the state. I mean, Cleveland got their franchise way back in the 1900s, and it was a way bigger city, and so was Cincinnati. So I don't think we'll ever get a pro baseball team the team went out to go see a Clippers game. It was just the other day. 
It was excellent. Stadium's great. That stadium is, I mean, it's routinely voted amongst like the best minor league parks. You could still see some of the remnants of the old one. If you ever go off of it's like 70 West Cooper Stadium, they still have like grandstands. The infield grandstands are still up. It's all kind of blocked off, but you can see it from the street. But it was just like in the middle of kind of nowhere outside the city. There's been different proposals on what they're going to do with the land and everything, but they haven't settled on anything. But you're a Cubs guy, right? Because the hat with the... Yeah, yeah. This year has not been a very good year. Yeah, but you were in Chicago when they won the World Series, though. It was. It was. What was that like? I became a Cubs fan because my grandmother, well, years ago we moved, when we moved to Texas, my grandmother moved, lived down there as well. We ended up living with her, and she would watch the Cubs game all the time because WGN was one of the main channels down there. TBS was the other one, and then that's it. She became an avid Cubs fan, so did I. And throughout the years, you get disappointed, right? Happy, disappointed, happy, but more uh, disappointed than anything. So, yes, that year, 2016, shit, man, you're watching, like, this history unfold before your eyes. It was great. Game seven, buddies of mine were at a bar. We were watching it. Once they tied the game, I just left the bar. I was fucking, like, this is fucking bullshit. This is going to happen again. Like, so fucking pissed. I was just stumbling down the fucking street, getting back to my place, and I put the game on. I had to put the game on. I was listening to the radio. You can hear the neighborhood. The whole city. I sat outside on the porch and my computer on, listening to the game. And it got to the point where we just couldn't hear the game anymore because everybody was just cheering. So you know they won. And I listened to the games. Everybody just, it was fucking crazy. It's got to be wild that like, even with it being like game seven, but the entire city was basically like all focused on just one thing. So you know, it's like one of those times, I don't know what it's called, where you know exactly where you were when the Cubs won the World Series. Were you in Chicago for 03? Uh, yes. 03, Florida Marlins. Yeah, that was a good one. I remember I was like 20, honestly 21 or something like that. I was working an overnight shift and I think they were playing in town for, yeah, NLCS. And they were playing at home. I would I went to the bar to go see the game before I went to the old shift. And one of the chefs that works, that works at the peninsula comes in, he sees me. I'm like, stop what I was doing. <laughs> He's like, son, why are you in here? I was like, what? Well, my shift doesn't start about three hours, chef. I don't know if he says, like, don't get fucked up. It's like, he understood. You know, it's a thing. You have to watch the game. You got to watch it. What's next for you? I mean, you're doing a bunch of different stuff at the market. It sounds like you guys got a lot of ideas that you want to implement here over the course of the next few months, too. But do you ever see yourself trying to open a restaurant again? Or based on how everything's gone, it's just, I want to run it and somebody else can take care of the back-end paperwork. The time being, and I told the guys this too, it's like, it's as if wind has been pushed behind the sails. I feel inspired again. I feel motivated. I feel like I want to teach these guys a little bit more and I can see the, the passion they have in their eyes. Like every time they learn something, I, they light up, which lights me up. I'm like, oh, that's all. I can teach you more. Watch this. So that's what drives me around. Uh, open up a restaurant, I think. I don't think so. At the time, it was for, it was supposed to be for myself and my wife. Like One of those things that, we run and uh, we can close a week and take some vacation for ourselves and take some time off for ourselves. Because growing up, it was always like, well, I'll, I'll go next time because I got to work this birthday or I got to work this holiday or I got to work this dinner. You lose a lot of that time that much more precious. I think that's what people are realizing now too in the industry. And it's very, very fair. But you don't have to work your 60 hours or whatever. You work because you love it. You don't want to work because you have to work. And some people do, but... At the same time, I guess here in this environment, which the owner has given us the privilege to manage our hours accordingly. And it's not about quantity of time, but the quality of time, if anything. We're just instilling that culture here and making sure that people are enjoying their lives 
outside these four walls as much as they are enjoying it here. I mean, I'm enjoying my time here. You know, you take it one day at a time. I've learned. Andy has said, you know, I should appreciate more of the little things, like be more happy with little victories. I'm always thinking about, okay, that's going to happen. So what's the next thing? What's the next? Just slow down. Just enjoy what's going on. I'm trying to practice that. So that leads me into now we kind of add it as one thing that we're doing. So everybody we have on the podcast, we have them leave a question behind for the next person. The next question is from Chef Wesley Grubbs over at Chapman's Eat Market in German Village there. He wanted to know, how do you turn your mind off? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Full disclosure, should we just say what people want to hear? No, give the honest answer. The honest answer is... Yeah, you have to slow down sometimes. I, for me, I've been very fortunate to uh, I just started smoking marijuana at the age of, I think it was 34, just discovered it then. And it helps. It really does. Like, it relaxes you, detains you a little bit. You may be just gone for about an hour, but, you know, you set your time to a side and just, like, think about nothing, but maybe just watch fucking Netflix or something. Because it is a constant thing. You always think about the next thing. What's next week going to be like? What's How are we going to schedule this person? And we're very fortunate to have a team that, all comes together. If someone needs something, someone helps out. That's the way it's, that's the way it's been. Just a little relaxed time to turn, turn your mind off. Picked up tennis not too long ago. How often do you play tennis? Lately, maybe like once a week. Not even once a month right now. I used to be like once or twice a week. I got to get back to it. It rains so much here, man. I can't believe it. Yeah, we get rain in bunch. It's weird weather patterns here. When it's nice, it's nice here. Sunsets are great. What's a question you want to leave behind for the next guest? Do I get to know who the next guest is? No. <laughs> All right. What would be a question for the next guest? So I saw on your podcast, you have smallies and you have chefs as well, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. And had some restaurant owner too as well. Ooh, let me see. Right on the spot. Can I think about it while we're finishing up? Yeah, yeah, we'll come back to it. A few more questions for you. We ask these to everybody. So there's kind of like a compare contrast across all the episodes for everybody. Who's the biggest influence on your cooking career thus far? Would you say looking back on it? Marty Fossey. He is the owner of Antiprima. I think him and Bruce Sherman, very disciplined individuals more than anything. They had both different styles of teaching. Some I do not practice now, but some I've learned from quite a bit. I think if anything, Mr. Sher or Chef Sherman shot, taught me about produce, how to seek the best produce, how to work with the best produce technique. Marty taught me more about service, how to welcome a guest into your house, take the coat from them, offer them the best seat in the house, cook the best food you possibly can, pour the best wine you possibly know. The only difference is that a restaurant, you just get a check at the end. That was a great mentality. What's the one item in the kitchen that's not a knife that you can't live without? The Bluetooth speaker. Gotta have music, man. Gotta have music. What's the one thing in a restaurant that you wouldn't fix yourself? Like this thing breaks, you're not messing with it, you're calling somebody. Anything electric. Plumbing's not not too bad. It's not about getting shocked. It's not take a hard pass on it. What's one restaurant you'd recommend that isn't your own? The best restaurant in Columbus, hands down, without a joke. Northeast Chinese. So good, man. Oh my gosh. I've always loved Asian cuisine. I've always loved cuisine that I don't know how to make, but I know how it works. Like you understand the flavors, like hot, spicy, sweet, salty, crunchy, all these texts. I mean, you get it, but you can't put it together. Like I wouldn't be able to put it together. Bucket list travel destination, bucket list restaurant. Bucket list travel destination. I was, I was thinking like the other day, I don't know why. Lebanese food, I think is tremendous. It's so clean. I like to learn more about that, if anything. Restaurant, Lebanese culture as well. Great people. Restaurant, 
I wouldn't mind going to Gramercy Tavern again. It's been years since I've gone there. They've been just an institution of New York, I think, in my opinion. I'd like to see it before, one more time before it goes or anything. Craziest thing you've seen happen in a restaurant while you're working? Uh, recently, we had hired this gentleman for a dishwashing position. Thought he was a good guy. Not a good guy. There was like a verbal altercation between two fucking 55 to 58-year-old men in the back while the kitchen's operating. Like, how does that happen? Like, dude, you guys are fucking adults, bro. <laughs> I look, God bless him. I love him, man. His name's Tony Williams. God bless him. He's such a good man. He has trouble walking. <laughs> and then the other one, <laughs> they, were they really going to kick each other's asses? Probably not. They'd probably do more harm to each other than anything. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Anyway, needless to say, we got rid of the other guy. It was just bad news. Food or drink guilty pleasure? Is there anything like when you're in the grocery store that you try and stay away from, whether it's junk food or is there any like fast food or any or drinks or anything that you're like man i know this isn't good for me but i love it oh uh bread dan's bread dan the baker bread anything that's bread because uh i love how it's sweet there's a honey wheat bread that sold it goes great with, with peanut butter i can sit there and probably eat like half a package of bread i shouldn't do that it's not good any carbs i'm not a soda drinker i don't really eat chips unless i'm eating a sandwich Favorite dish, favorite thing you've ever cooked, created, kind of that thing that you look back on your career up till now that you can kind of point to and go, this is when you figured it all out and knew that like you could do this as a career and be an executive chef. Um, well, it's been several. I think the one that really sticks out is we had this skewer pit. It would automatically turn while it had coals at the bottom. We roast pigs, whole lamb. At the time, I chickens as well, spit roast. At the time, I said, well, why don't we just try with the rabbits? So I took three rabbits together. I wrapped them in, stuffed them with uh, sage and onion, and then wrapped it pancetta, and then wrapped it cow fat. And on the spit, super slow, about three hours in. I didn't know it was going to work or not. It was so fucking good. Like, really legit good. This uh, super soft, came off the bone. I guess what I'd learned was uh, if you have that lean meat inside something really, really fatty, and while it's spinning super slow, it's evenly distributing the heat and it's rendering the fat into the meat while maintaining the moisture of it. And also impart, imparting the flavors of the sage, the pancetta, black pepper, super classic dish. Uh, porqueta is a style that uh, it's done with rabbits as well. But that, that was remarkable. I don't know how many people it takes to kind of recognize that. But it was pretty cool. I thought it was pretty cool. I'm an Anthony Bourdain fan, but not everybody is. If you are, is there a favorite moment episode scene that stands out to you the most or if you're not is there some sort of culinary personality when you were coming up that you kind of gravitated towards whether it was you know someone on tv like an emerald or a julia child or something like that i am a fan of anthony bourdain i did not see a lot of the episodes i did see some of course great writer obviously but myself growing up who was an influence it would probably have to be people that i worked with anything people that were very kind enough to show me a couple of things growing up in the career and the fields and especially people that were more of a model to follow those, those were far in, be in between but people that were uh, those guys are the ones i looked up to anything i wasn't much of a tv personality kind of guy i'm not like the gordon ramsay thing it's not really a child yeah she was cool i mean little old lady it's big lady though produced some good food that's fun entertaining but I, I got i understood the tv part of it you know you have to sell it right but for myself, it was more about people are very genuine, trying to make sure you're progressing your career as well. Any thoughts on the question you want to leave behind for the next guest? 
what movie would you start watching in the middle of while you're doing some tasks? Start watching the rest of it. Yeah, I get you. What's a movie that as soon as it comes on, no matter where it is at that point, you just stop doing what you're doing? You have one? Uh, I would probably say, I don't know, the movie Heat, like there's parts in there where like as soon as you see it, you're like, hold on, I got to watch like the next like 20 minutes. Especially the, the rifle scene. Yeah, when they're in like downtown LA. But I was like uh, when he's at the coffee shop, the librarian, and she's asking him about like, what are you reading? And he's like all defensive and stuff. And it's like, what do you want to know what I'm reading? Like that always makes me laugh. Where can people find you? Social media, website, reservations, plug, anything, everything. Sure. Um, as far as the website goes for the restaurant, themarketiv.com, at ChefCYSA on Instagram. What else can I plug in? So at the market.iv on Instagram is the restaurant account. And you guys are open? We're open Wednesday through Saturday from 5 to 10. And then we're going to be open for Sunday dinner service very, very soon here from 5 to about 9, I believe, depending on the demand to see how late we're going to go. There's been an asking of why we're not open for dinner. And there's a lot of places that aren't open for dinner in Columbus on Sundays. No, there's a lot of places that aren't open for lunch on Sundays right now. I don't know if it's a staffing shortage thing or if it's just kind of a lull before. Like there's some like bars and stuff that aren't even open on Sundays that used to be. Should be fun. We should be able to do events, wine dinners, farm dinners, pizza nights as well. We're, We're really working on a great pizza recipe and it's just getting better and better. Utilizing ingredients from here like anything else. Great. Uh, Andy has tremendous dough recipes. People like pizza. It's really fun. Any other events that we're probably... You know, Sunday Supper Club, we're, we're trying to get lifted on Sundays. We don't know the exact details and what to offer just and how to present it to the public. But it's something along the lines of doing a, almost a prefix meal for about 40 bucks, three three to four courses. Well worth bang for the buck kind of deal. It's fun. So Sunday's just... Uh, we're looking forward to it. I really appreciate you coming on, taking some time. Like I said, you know, I think the changes that have been made from what the market was. If you're a fan of the old market, you'll still enjoy it. There's still little touches in there. I feel like that kind of like almost like throw back to it. But it's a completely different experience in a good way. I really enjoyed it. We did. So we're always kind of hitting up the our go-to restaurants and it's in our loop or whatever that we do. So we'll be seeing you soon on that. Yeah, I look forward to all the stuff that you guys are rolling out. It definitely sounds awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Really, really do. Thank yeah, you. Anytime, uh, open invitation, anybody comes on the podcast, if you guys want to, you know, pop back on, even if it's just for 10, 15 minutes, talk about whatever new menu you're doing or stuff. You talk to our general manager, Lauren. Very super talented individual. Very talented. The only GM I've had on so far is Greg Stokes over at Veritas and everything. He's been the only one so far. Lauren's a remarkable person. She's uh, going for a as well. She just came back from Chicago about two weeks ago on exam there. And now still going part-time to school as well and managing this place. Like, I'm telling you, man, this, this girl is like, nothing like I've ever seen before. It's, it's cool to have her on the team and watch her grow is a remarkable thing. So maybe an up-and-coming star is on the works here, in my opinion. Nice. Yeah, I'll definitely have to track her down and, and reach out to her and see if she wants to do it. Ray, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, stay in touch. We'll see you soon. And uh, good luck with all the new stuff that you guys are implementing. Like I said, I can't wait to see it. Sounds awesome. So you'll be seeing For us. Sure. Likewise, take care. Thank you. 
Thanks again to Chef Carlos for coming on the podcast, taking some time out of one of his days off to come on and record with me. It's always awesome to talk to chefs who just kind of come to Columbus, you know, his experience and everything so far in the cities, still getting used to the city and everything. It's awesome to have new chef blood in the city too as well. BJ came from out of town and now Chef Carlos. And, and so we're getting more and more people in the industry moving to Columbus and that'll help kind of push the food scene to, to new heights and kind of elevate everybody, you know, rising tide lifts all boats, so to speak. It's always great to have new people, new chefs coming in from, you know, bigger cities or different markets and everything and kind of bringing their experiences and and their kind of touch and different flavors and everything to Columbus. So we desperately need that. And hopefully we just keep getting more and more talented chefs that wind up moving here uh, over the next few years. Make sure to follow them on Instagram at Chef CYSA is Chef Carlos on Instagram. Also follow the Market Italian Village on Instagram at themarket.iv. Uh, like he said, they're doing the chef's table counter. It's like four seats at the counter. They're starting to do that. They're going to implement other stuff, eventually have some tastings and everything. They've been doing some wine kind of pairing dinners and stuff. You know, I think Wednesday or Thursday is like burger night. Uh, they usually do kind of like a wine kind of pairing, I think, uh, the following night too as well, based on, you know, stuff they've been doing on Instagram. So check out all that stuff. Make sure to follow us on Instagram too as well, at Spoon Mob. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Check out the website, SpoonMob.com rate, review, subscribe. Feel free to send in any questions, comments, feedback, either through the contact portal on the website, or you can email us directly, spoonmob at yahoo.com. Appreciate everybody listening. Make sure to follow, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform that you get your podcast from. That's it for this week. Talk to you guys next week.